We're sinking like the Titanic. We're sinking up. We're sinking like the Titanic. Hello, Johnny Neal. Hello, Mr. Salisbury. What do you think we should do on our show today? I think we should talk about steak. Should talk about steak. <laughs> Be it as your name is Salisbury. Oh, I never made that connection before. Never. Well. <laughs> Really? Mm. Even in your cafeteria at I'm, elementary school? I might be lying. You might be. You know what? You know what goes great with Salisbury steak, though? I can take a guess. What's your guess? Does it have hops and barley? It does have hops and barley. Does it start with a B? It does start with a B. Does it end with an ear? It ends with an ear. Beer. Beer. Welcome, welcome, Digifiles, to another plugged-in edition of Digital Noise here on OneOfUs.net. Now, if you're not familiar with this show, I don't know why you're listening to this one first, but this is our weekly DVD and Blu-ray review show where we give you all of the stats, all of the special features, all of the supplements, which is another name for special features, and all of the redundancy as well. I am your host, Brian Salisbury, and I'm joined once again by the, the irascible, the erudite, Johnny Neal. Let me let's just add the grateful to be here, Johnny. The grateful to be here. I, I just love coming in here and talking to you about DVDs. Dude, and such. I love it that we get to do this. I like that we got we got partnered up. This is working out very well. I, I know. It's like we're Mormons and we got <laughs> we were selected for one another. <laughs> is that what happens in the Crystal Palace? I never I never read the full uh Cimmerillion. So you didn't see going clear? I didn't. I didn't see going clear. <laughs> But hey, that's if, how it works. If you want to hear more things like that, you should definitely check out uh, this show and all of our other on, uh, blah, 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 and blah, and also we speak well into and if, microphones. And if you want to hear more things like that, stick around. If you want to hear more things like that, have a massive coronary. Otherwise, check out our shows on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. You can also follow this show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. That's D-I-G-I NoiseCast. Or you can like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. Now, we don't have a letterbox this week because we have a shit ton of titles that we need to get through. So many. So many that it's literally a shit ton. Like, it stinks how many titles we it's have like to get through. It's like a metric shit ton. A metric shit ton. It's like if Andre the Giant came in here... And took a metric shit. <laughs> took a metric shit. And he was French. He was, so was I think that merde, means... A metric merde. I, a metric merde. I think that means it would be like 30 cubits in height. Yes. I don't know the metric system. It would be cubits like Russell Crowe's 30-odd cubits of grunts. <laughs> Wow, that was it. That, by the way, thirty odd foot grunts. If you don't know, is the name of Russell Crowe's band, which Johnny Neal and like twenty other people in the world probably know. So but when he joined Noah, when he became Noah, he renamed him. I guess I would be one of the other twenty since I knew that without googling. It. That's right, you knew it. I knew it. You, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and and Joe and Curly. <laughs> anyway, so here's the titles. Let's just dive right into the reviews. The reviews. I like that. And we're going to start this week with big eyes. Big eyes. See everyone on screen. No, actually, uh, it's uh, this is the latest film from Tim Burton. Now, Tim Burton has become kind of anathema with, with geeks because he started out making these really great, really iconic films. Batman, Beetlejuice. I mean, even going into like Ed Wood. And then he starts doing remakes and more adaptations and all this other stuff. And just completely seems to have lost the creative spark. Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to totally jump on my 
I defend Tim Burton until the day I die. And I will be on that bandwagon very temporarily with you because of Big Eyes. You because know what, I really liked Big Eyes. Let me just throw this out there, though. Just throw it. For all of you complainers out there that bitch about Tim Burton. Uh, huh? Actually, these days they're called haters. Haters. Haters, Johnny. Haters gonna complain. I know. <laughs> just, just look at it this way. All of those movies that you go, uh, why did he make that? Those movies were going to get made. Those were studio mm-hmm. decision movies that were going to get made. That shitty Planet of the Apes movie, that shitty Alice in Wonderland. Those were studio movies that were going to get made. Somebody was going to make them. True. Tim Burton said, I'll make them if you let me make Big Fish. I'll make them if you let me make Big Eyes. I'll make them if you let me make Mars Attacks, which I love. So who's, um, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, but who's forcing him to do that terrible Dumbo live action remake they're talking about? Yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah, nobody's forcing him to do that. I don't think anybody forced him to do Frank Is it Frank a sequel to Operation Dumbo Drop? Maybe it is. That would be interesting. Or is it a sequel to Special Delivery? Because I think those movies came out in the same year. You what remember about that? that one with Bill Murray? That was Special that Delivery. That was Special Delivery? Yeah. yeah, there were two big elephant movies that came out in the same <laughs> Isn't year. is that weird? It's super weird. <laughs> that it's one was really actually weird. pretty fun, though. I like Bill Murray on an elephant. Well, what Dressed I like, like John Wayne. Yeah. What I like about Big Eyes, which is, if you are playing at home, the movie we're actually talking about before we go off on our tangents. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, Big Eyes is actually, uh, I didn't realize, I, I'm too young to have heard of this story, unfortunately, but in the late 50s and 60s, uh, there was a painter by the name of Walter Keene, and Walter Keene created these really strange, waifish, alien-looking children paintings that became massively popular. I had two, two. very cheap uh, you know, <laughs> Recreations. dime store prints. They probably weren't even really Keene paintings but i had two one was a little mexican boy in a little sombrero <laughs> looking up afraid because there was a bee near his face that's what people decorated children's rooms with wow days. no wonder some of the best horror came out of the 70s right <laughs> exactly that's what you grew up with with these big eyes hanging <laughs> over you i love the movie big eyes i mm-hmm. loved it absolutely loved it well and that's the thing is that you know it comes out later in the in the real life story that his wife margaret had been the one doing all the paintings keen was kind of a hack who never really made it as an artist and so he just kind of took credit for his wife's work and you know she ended up having to sue him just to get basically just to get the respect that she deserved just as like no these are my paintings and that's what this movie is 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 cataloging and what i really like about it is that you have tim burton reaching back to an era where he found really creative stories from history and specifically i'm talking about things like ed wood this is the first of those sort of, and, and I may be wrong, but to my recollection, this is the first time he's kind of gone back to that well since Ed Wood in telling biographical, you know, historical stories, but in a very creative way. So I was really, and, and the fact that the fact that he didn't have a fantasy realm to play in, he couldn't use that sandbox, he was very restrained and he focused on the humanity and he focused on the conflict uh, between these two people. And I found that to be way more interesting than anything he's done in the last 10 years. Well, it certainly wasn't going to be about how great the art was. No, it I mean, was that's, not. That's kind of, there's a little bit of skewering of the of the gullibility of the art buying public. Is there? Is there? Have you, have you seen the people that buy the shitty modern art now that are like, oh, it's it's a tower of elephant dung. I must have that. It's, it's definitely a statement on that. No, it's a statement on how stupid you are for paying millions of dollars for a stack of elephant dung. Come on, people. Yeah, but there's more to you know modern art than than just elephant dung stuff. Okay, I mean there's a lot of really good art going on. But I, I got to tell you something. I've tell read me. a million reviews for this movie, and I've heard people talk about it. And one thing that always kind of 
I feel like I watched a different movie than all of them. Okay. I feel like I watched a movie about addiction. And it was an addiction to ego. And that was what Walter got. Because at the beginning of the movie, all he wanted was to get laid. He pretended to be an artist. He was scamming his way into restaurants and upskirts and into pants, right? <laughs> scamming I mean, his way up skirts. I like that. That's that's and that was all that was good enough for him. He had a real mm-hmm. job that that provided, but he fed his ego with being a scammer, but he was also a charmer. Now, here's yeah. the part where I go, this guy did not start off as a bad guy. When she was about to have her kid taken away from her, mm-hmm. he said, "I'll marry you." You know, Nothing to be gained from that. He Mm -hmm. married her completely out of love and because it would help her out and she wouldn't lose her child. And by the end of the movie, that good guy facet is kind of forgotten Mm -hmm. because he he takes advantage. He takes advantage of the situation. He didn't set out to steal her name and steal her style. Well, and that that's fair. But revelations that are made later in the movie about the you remember when she meets him he's doing landscapes and the revelation that comes out about the landscapes they were fake yeah he's he's been doing this kind of shit but like i agree with you his his ultimate goal at the very beginning is just to be with her uh her being amy adams or anybody else or anybody else (laughs) he just dressed the part and went to the fair in Mm -hmm. the 60s in san francisco yeah he had a pretty good plan he dressed like a mime without the face paint without the (laughs) It's uh, a job in mind. And and then Christoph Waltz plays Walter Keane. And and I really do think it's it's a really interesting performance because he has to walk that line between being charming enough that we believe that Amy Adams would fall for him and marry him after knowing him for so little time, and then being such a monster addicted to ego, as Johnny Neal said, that he would do some of the things that we see him do later. And I think he really pulls it off. And I really like the way that Burton directs this. I think, it, like I said, I think there's a lot of restraint. I think a few years ago, his approach to this would have been, what if you could step inside the painting and, like, all the children live in this, like, really weird Edvard Munch world and they're, like, flying cats. Well, you and... did have the, the little freak out in the grocery store where everybody yes, had big eyes. But one, there's, like, that's one moment. And right. that, like, I am totally fine with that kind of indulgence in this. But I, I just, yeah. I really liked it. And I was hoping it was the start of a new trend for him. And then the shit about the Dumbo movie came out, and he's doing Alice in Wonderland let's sequel. Let's just stick with the subject at hand. And let's stick with the subject <laughs> at hand, which is that Big Eyes is a really good movie, and that you should definitely all check it out. It comes to us from Anchor Bay, and special features on this Blu-ray apparently don't, uh, no, don't there exist. Was nothing. There was nothing worth, they don't exist. worth getting hung up about. So but the take that as you may. casting is wonderful. Danny Houston, as the, as the, the gossip columnist, that pretends to be a real journalist and mm-hmm. uh, John Polito. It's just, it's a great movie. Everything about the way it's put together really works. Great Agreed. style, great design. Kristen Ritter looks fantastic. Yes, she does. And looks like a model for the paintings. Yes, she does. You know, and Terrence Stamp is the art critic for the New York Times. It, it was just really <laughs> funny how it's a bit, it's got a lot going on. Statements of self-promotion, merchandising, everything. By the way, if you haven't bought a One of Us Net t-shirt, you can do so in our uh, One of Us Net shop, which the link is on the page, speaking of merchandising. And, and if you can't afford a One of Us Dot t-shirt, we can take a picture of one <laughs> and, and send sell you it that to for you. a dime. <laughs> I like it. New business venture. Well, a movie that didn't do anything right is unfortunately Taken 3. This is the latest in the Taken franchise. This one is it the last? Hopefully, it's the last because I think they just pushed it to three. Everybody's dead, right? There's nobody left to take. I think they just pushed it to three so they could do the stupid backwards three E thing. 
I really uh, think that's the only reason they made three movies. That's sad. It's very sad. Now, you guys may remember the first Taken, which is an awesome film about Liam Neeson kind of having this renaissance and and being an action star again and and just being brutal. And the movie's just a, a the movie cuts all of the fat out of revenge films. It is a beeline. Liam Neeson makes a beeline for revenge in that movie, and that's what makes it so great. The sequel was a fucking disaster because, like, it it's not that I can't have leaps of logic in movies, but when you have characters who are purportedly the good guys doing things that obviously only evil people do as part of their quest to be good and nobody addresses that, like, for example, Maggie Grace running along the rooftops... Uh, in I believe it was Turkey. Yeah, uh, throwing grenades to let uh, Liam Neeson know where she is in Taken Two, and I'm like, you're gonna kill all kinds of people, <laughs> and that's the only way you can think to let your I'm throwing grenades, boom, <laughs> boom, and I'm like, okay, you're now evil. Like you are now yeah. a bad guy. I want you to understand this. Taken Three doesn't do that, but what it does do and what drives me up the fucking wall with action movies and I'm going to bring it up again because this is one of the most incendiary examples is that shaky cam edited on a sewing machine overly produced action sequence where it's like every... I literally did this thing. It was a, it was a foot chase by the way. It was a scene... I was blinking my eyes and every time I blinked there was a new shot. Every single time I blinked. I'm like, that is way too quick a pace. It's the only action sequence that I think should come with an epilepsy warning. Oh, wow. It is edited that fast, and it is fucking nauseating. And it's a foot chase. We're not talking (laughs) about elaborate stunts that need to be coordinated with different angles so that you don't see the strings. We're talking about two guys running. They turned into Dragon Ball Z. They turned into, I'm going to drag this movie through a fucking, I don't know, gravel pit. Well, you know, something I I didn't like about it, and so much that I didn't even watch it, was that I know that the (laughs) the premise is that his wife gets killed. Yeah, the premise is that... I kind of think that filmmakers need to know that they owe their characters a little bit of something. And it's cheating, by the way. Yeah. It's it's cheating because no one actually gets taken. Like, she gets killed, but nobody gets taken in this movie. He takes himself. She, they take her life. That's what they're explaining. And I'm like, nah, you're cheating. Yeah, you're cheating. You're, you're cheating. And it's, you're, you know, you're you're reducing characters into plot devices. And not only that, but you're taking char- you're taking actors I really like and putting them in a movie that just makes them all look tired. Like, they're all like, I can't believe we have to do this. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Liam Neeson looks tired. Forrest Whitaker. Great actor. Wasted in this movie. Absolutely wasted. It's He plays the cop who's basically... Oh, uh, after F- uh, Famke Jensen's character gets murdered, everybody assumes that Liam Neeson did it. So now he's trying to clear his name. But apparently clearing his name means beating up a lot of cops. So I'm sure that'll help. Um, but yeah, it's just... It's a boring movie. Okay. Overall, my biggest problem with this movie, it's fucking boring. That's what... You know what was taken? Two what? and a half hours of your life. It's taken too long to get to the end yeah this is not a movie i can recommend like the action sequences are so overly edited that it actually made me nauseous and i'm sorry this franchise is dead there is only one taken movie this never should have been a franchise it's over fucking bury it we're done here uh if you are interested in buying this blu-ray from fox it comes with um deleted scenes uh, something about the rabbit hole which is the bunker that liam neeson goes to the taken legacy of gallery it's just all a bunch of EPK nonsense. It's a legacy. It's a legacy, apparently. That's right. But let's talk about something else. Let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about something that is definitely going to be, without question, my pick of the week. Uh, you know, Johnny Neal, you made reference to Salisbury steak uh, in the cold open. 
Steak Pliskin is here to tell you that the new Escape from New York <laughs> Blu-ray from Scream Factory is unequivocally my pick of the week. Holy God, this thing is fucking amazing. I don't know if anybody at home can hear this, but Brian has seven dogs, and all of them are wagging their tails. Just all of as them. As soon as he said Escape from New York. I have them they trained. perked up their ears and started wagging their tails. I have them very well trained to this, understand the greatness of this movie. This movie sets the standard for how great movies can be. I agree, John. This is why I like being your co-host, Johnny Neal. Because <laughs> oh, wow. you know the fucking score when it comes to Escape from New York. And you know, this movie gets better every time you see it. And the Agreed. more you know about the 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 production and how many shortcuts they took, it, it just gets it even better. You know, sometimes you can see behind the scenes and you go, oh, that's how they did it. This one, you see behind the scenes and go, oh my God, that guy's a genius. Yeah. Everything about this movie rocks. Definitely. And this fucking Blu-ray, oh my God, Scream Factory has gone above and beyond. Like, this is a Blu-ray, by the way, that has two previous incarnations. And yet they still went all out to really bring us the best release of this possible. It's a beautiful new transfer. Looks gorgeous in high definition. The painting. Oh, my God. The painting yeah. on the box yeah, yeah. is just so. Oh, my God. Hey, it makes you me so You want to hear my happy. Kurt Russell impression? Yeah. This is, my, um, this is my commentary Kurt Russell impression. Okay. <laughs> he does giggle. He's basically dastardly. <laughs> What's what's the name of the dog from Wacky Racers? Uh, Muttley. Muttley. He's yeah. Muttley from the he Wacky Racers. Very Muttley like. Yeah. <laughs> and and what I, the reason I point that out is because he had a blast just watching himself again. Yeah. You know, and it, and John Carpenter is just so matter of fact about everything that they had to do. They they went <laughs> in one scene. They will have filmed part of it in California, part of it in St. Louis. <laughs> And yeah, part of it in Long Beach, you know, it it was just great. That was, I think, that was my favorite part of the commentary between the two of them is that, um, is that yeah, they talked about that one scene where the helicopter lands, and it was in it was in St. Louis, and I was just like, man, I'm not sure if you land in East St. Louis now, it doesn't look exactly like that still. So yeah, that was that was really funny, and the two of them together. They, they have a lot of fun. Now, that's an old commentary, but still, if you haven't checked it out, you really should. Now, overall, here's here's a breakdown of all of the special features on this. We have uh, on disc one, these are, these are kind of the, um, a lot of these are the older ones ported over. Uh, the commentary for the 2003 special edition DVD with Kurt Russell and John Carpenter is excellent. Uh, also from that DVD is the commentary with Deborah Hill, who produced a lot of John Carpenter's movies, and production designer Joe Alves. On disc two... Uh, there are some deleted scenes. There's a look at the original bank robbery scene from the yeah, beginning of the movie. That I was, was really glad that got cut. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> but I, mean, I was glad to see it on the X. I like the air of mystery to yeah. Snake Plissken, and that's really what that scene removes. So I'm glad that they took it out. Um, there's also an original feature from the 2003 DVD called Return to Escape from New York. There's theatrical trailers, photo galleries. Okay, that's great. Now let's talk about the HD exclusive yes. special features. Um, there's an audio commentary with Adrian Barbeau and Dean Cundey. If you're not familiar with Dean Cundey, yes, you are. I'm just going to tell you, yes, you fucking are. If you've ever seen a John Carpenter film and you thought, wow, that looks really cool, it's because of Dean Cundy. He, the guy shot all of John Carpenter's best movies, all the way up until, I believe, Big Trouble in Little China. So, I mean, we're talking like the great, great, great John Carpenter movies were all shot by Dean Cundy. Uh, and then, and he's a master. He is a I master. Mean, it's just shocking how good this movie is. Absolutely. And, and I'm just going to throw out a big reveal that movie was made for five million dollars it's amazing right? i think that there should be a law that adjusted for inflation mm -hmm. if you go over five million dollars 
you have to lower your ticket price by two dollars. Yeah, how's that for you? I like it. Yeah. It's bold, but I like it. That's right. Because if he can do that for five million, think of the imagination that people would have to use instead of just giving everything to some guy in a cubicle and saying, "Fix this with your mouse." Exactly. Yeah. Big challenges in Little Manhattan is on disc two. It's the first brand new high def spe- featurette. It's about fourteen and a half minutes. Um, it, it takes a look at the special effects of Escape from New York with uh, comments from DOP Dennis Skotak and matte artist Robert Skotak, who I want to give a big kiss. If you see the fucking matte painting of New York at the beginning of this film, it's tactile. Even in high yeah. definition, you're like, I really can't tell that's a matte. Like, it's beautiful. And then a lot of that was done by James Cameron. Yep, that's true. Interesting. They, yep. kept, they kept saying his name in the special. In, in Little the Jimmy Cameron. Little, Little Jimmy, Jimmy Cam- Cameron went on to do some big things. And there's an entire special feature, an entire brand new special feature devoted to the score. Oh, my Everything God. Everything about this, this DVD, this Blu-ray, is film school. It is a uh, film school class. There's, uh, there's a film school class on marketing your, your soundtrack mm. and the things that you're going to run into when you do so, like the big sticker over the pictures of them because they couldn't get the image rights for the soundtrack cover. Uh, the, the notion that they even released the soundtrack was a surprise. I, I, it was a wonderful, wonderful production of a release of... One of the greatest movies ever made. Absolutely. And I wish there was a film school class on how to make out with your Blu-ray, because I'm doing it now, and I'm not doing a very good job. Not as good a job as this fucking release deserves. Absolutely. Definitely my pick of the week. There's also an on-set with John Carpenter that's brand new. There's a thing called I Am Taylor, where actor Joe Unger discusses uh, playing Taylor, who is a character that was Snake's sidekick in the bank high scene that got completely cut. Um, and then my night on set where uh, exploitation filmmaker David Dakota. Um, tells the story about he got on set for some last-minute pickup shots. So, I mean, every angle that you can possibly cover this movie and you can you can celebrate this movie is covered in the Scream Factory release. There's no question. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. I don't I, even know why we need to talk I, anymore I, about I, it. I agree. I agree. It's what's, the opposite, of the what's the opposite of a pick of the week? Uh, shit of the week. Shit of the week. <laughs> Let's talk about Bedlam. Bedlam. Okay, you know the... Uh, have you I heard, didn't even watch this, by the way. Have, have you heard of the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Yes, I have. Well, this is the uh, unwatchable Aussie shit. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. And of course, oh. this comes to us from After Dark, which has been putting out its fair share of excremental films of oh late. Oh my god, it's so bad. Tell me why it's so bad, Okay, John. imagine if a group of Australian college students who were in a kind of an improv class uh-huh. decided to make a horror movie slash paint commercial. <laughs> I'm, I'm allergic to that concept, oh, apparently. Oh my god, I'm surprised you're not retching and just spewing <laughs> all over the walls. It, uh, it, has the, it starts kind of interesting a little bit. I mean, bad interesting in that it did something that I see more and more is archive footage of, uh, or not footage, but still photos of actual uh, sanitariums from the turn of the century, turn of the previous century. People getting lobotomies of screwdrivers, and, and, you know, uh, hammered into their eyes and things like that. Just very unnerving, horrible people. Torture are, porn. People are terrible, but they're actual photos, old black and white photos mm-hmm. over the credits. And torture then, photos. Torture, torture porn still lifes. <laughs> 
and then, they're going retro torture porn still lives. I yeah, like that. Yeah. Like that. And then it just goes into a nonsense story that even in after I watched about 20 minutes of it thinking it was going to get better. Did it get better? It never did. Oh. So then I started watching it in fast motion and it was just the same 20 minutes over and over. It would, uh, <laughs> it, it was just so bad. And, and, Nothing really even made sense of why the the story was being told of, you know, I, I don't even want to go on anymore. I'm out of breath. <laughs> it's just, it's not worth talking about. You it, don't so. want to go on anymore. Like you don't want to talk about this movie or you're like, do you need to like leave a note and, and grab a plastic I'm bag? I'm not going to put a, t- a tag on my toe or okay, anything like right. that. I'll just say that this movie is really bad. If it's you're, not even a real movie. If you're interested, this has a special feature called subtitles. That's it. That's Bedlam. That's the Italian uh, subtutitli. I, I subtutitlis. I was going to watch this and then hearing Johnny Neal's reaction. What I, what, I, what I find really fun about doing this show with Johnny Neal is every once in a while, I'll get these random Facebook messages when he either really likes or really dislikes a movie. And the dislike ones are so much fun. <laughs> so thank you well, for that, Johnny Neal. Well, I, I have to complain to somebody. But after you do that, sometimes I'm like, well, Johnny Neal saw it. So I'm just going to move on. Yeah. Just going to go ahead and move on. Right, right. Let you off the hook. I appreciate that. Speaking of moving on, we're going to move on to Paddington. Now, this is, of course, the animated, uh, half animated, half live screen, live screen, live action, big screen adaptation of the popular children's book series, of which I have read none, uh, because I was apparently reading the wrong books as a child. So I knew nothing about Paddington Bear, except that he liked Marmalade. That's yeah. literally all I knew about Paddington Bear. He was British, and he liked Marmalade which could probably apply to a lot of people who are British and like marmalade. My uh, uh, my ex-wife was into him as a child, yeah? which is probably why I didn't watch it. Okay. Well, that's fair. You know. Now, I'd been like I didn't get a chance to go to the press screening. It was one of those like Saturday 2 p.m. kind of like I'm like I'm still recovering from the hangover from the night before. There's no way. Um, yeah, I had to watch The Hangover. The I had to watch The Hangover the day before. It fucking sucked. Um, the, the third one. The first one's actually pretty good. Anyway, so Paddington is a movie that I've been hearing a lot of praise for. A lot of praise from my critic buddies. And I was pretty surprised. Um, but, I, I, you know, I sat down to watch it, and my expectation was changed. I wasn't... Because when I first saw the trailer, I was like, are you fucking kidding me with another one of these? Are we really doing this again with the CG, you know, brought into to live action to adapt something that doesn't necessarily need to be adapted? And I will say, I was... I was wrong. It's charming. It's it's sweet. It's fun. I don't think it's revelatory. I don't think it's particularly outstanding, but it does it does really well for what it is. It takes something that is a very minimal concept and expands it out in a way that's very like it has flashes of Wes Anderson at times actually. Oh, wow. There's this really great uh, and this may be something from the books guys and I'm sorry if people are going to scream at me. That books. Okay, I don't know. I didn't read them. Are oh, you Paddington fanatics? Yeah. You, you Paddington off or whatever. Um, But there's this really great sequence where they show the house where Paddington's living, and the way that they do it is that they open up what looks like a dollhouse cross-section, and then inside are, like, the people are moving around. They're not, like, uh, animated representations. It's forced perspective, so, like, people are actually inside the dollhouse. And it's a really cool effect, and very much reminded me of Wes Anderson, something like um, some of the sequences in uh, Moonrise Kingdom. So I I really did enjoy that, and I thought... uh, there's there's a great cast here. I mean, you have um, Ben Whishaw, who was Q in the in the new James Bond movies, is playing is doing the voice of Paddington. You also have Imelda Staunton uh, in this as Aunt Lucy, of course, Imelda, uh, as the voice of Aunt Lucy, and Michael Gambon as so the the beginning of the film, of course, because it's a kids movie about an adorable animal, something bad has to happen to his family. Um, but anyway, Aunt Lucy and it's, what made me laugh is that Aunt Lucy and Uncle Pastuzo are both voiced by Harry Potter alums, Imelda Staunton and Michael Gambon. 
Uh, and then, you know, the, the main family that takes him in, the Brown family, um, you know, you have Sally Hawkins and Hugh Bonneville playing uh, the parents. And there's, and, and, and okay, Nicole Kidman plays like the creepy villainess the here. Cruella de Vil. The Cruella de Vil. And I'm starting to think, like, very much like Cruella de Vil, actually. Uh, I'm starting to think she might be evil in real life because she's played so many of these, like, really dark like even in this movie it's pretty dark for a fucking kids movie the character she's playing and she's like this like dark brooding like kind of witchy like i'm starting to think she might actually be like maybe when she did practical magic she just never gave that up and just practiced you know she's a wiccan from like that point forward i think she's tired of being living in nashville Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> She's going, what am I doing here? Yeah. Why do I have a redneck Australian country singer husband who's shorter than me? I love Nicole Kidman. Yeah. I, I honestly do. If you see her in Birth, have you seen that? I have not seen Birth. That movie will blow your mind. I have seen a live Birth, and that scared the shit out of me. I have been for a couple of those. That's what happens. <laughs> I, I honestly think that someday Nicole Kidman will be looked back on by young actresses the way actresses look at Marilyn Monroe now. Really? I think that she is a phenomenal actress with a huge range and... Just looks deeply sad inside. I think that all of yeah, her she kind of does come from a place of grief. That's interesting. I never That's, really thought I of that. I just am really smitten with her. Uh, yeah, yeah, you you kind of are. Yeah. But I, I like it. I like it. Well, there you go. Uh, this comes to us from Anchor Bay. Not a lot in the way of special features here. I was pretty surprised for a. Um, I you know I don't really know how successful this movie was, especially in the states. Maybe it did better overseas. Uh, it's not a, an American property. It's and not. It's not at all Americans it. in it. So. No. Well, I don't know. That's that's a. I'm not sure. I'll have to. I'll have to look that up sometime. But yeah, this has very few special features. Just a few featurettes. Uh, meet the characters. Literally called meet the characters. Like a little imagination, guys. Come on. When a bear comes to stay from page to screen and the shine. There's a really awful song at the end of this movie that they actually tried to get nominated for. Um, for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. And so they sent out these these discs of it, and I listened to it, and I was like, oh, yeah, um, I'm going to go with no, because <laughs> this song is terrible. If I could cast a vote, it would not go to this. It would not I, go to this. I, I'm sorry, I don't it's like by. I'm sorry, just, just to let you know, it's performed by Gwen Stefani and Pharrell, oh. if that tells you everything you need to I know. I was going to say Common and John Legend. That would have been... Like, I like that one a lot. That, that would have been an interesting, like, uh, I don't know, man, I, I did two songs this year. Especially if it had, like, the biting, like, social subtext or yeah. supertext of that song. If it could make Chris Pine cry. Yeah, if it could make Chris Pine cry. Like <laughs> that should be the test. goal. That should be the goal of every song is just to make Chris Pine cry. I uh, yeah. I, I agree with Agony. that wholeheartedly. Agony. <laughs> Far more painful than yours when you know she would go with you if there only were doors. Yeah, I I actually like that song quite a bit. Me too. Anyway, Not enough, as much as you, I guess. Enough of the weird musical interlude that might cast aspersions upon Brian's sexual orientation. Let's move on. Nothing wrong with that. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about uh, Maps to the Stars, which okay. is the new David Cronenberg film, ostensibly? He directed it. It's got his fingerprints all over it, but it's not really his movie. It's a writer, the writer of the movie. It's really mm-hmm. more his story to tell. Okay. I loved this movie. I Okay, I'm glad you liked it as much as you did, because I found it to be real fucking bug nuts weird. It was. Funny. Like, it was, it was funny if it is intended to be. I'm not sure it is, 
But if it's intended to be, it's pretty damn funny. Oh, I think it's intended. You think to so? Be funny, yeah. I just have never. Very, it, it's. Uh, I've never imagined Cronenberg to be a comedy guy. Oh, I think he's always. Do you think? Yeah. Okay. I think you have to have a sense of humor to do the stuff that he does. No, I mean, I think he's got like a macabre sense of humor, but yeah. like this is like, this is a really like, this I don't know, like really, satire. yeah, it's a brutal send up of Hollywood culture and specifically yeah. celebrity culture. And I don't know, like there's some really bleak stuff in this. There's some really uncomfortable stuff in this, but it's all like played in this sort of like. If you're paying attention, you should be laughing kind of way. It's very matter of fact how full of shit all of the people are. Right, yeah. Every one of them is, you know, doing something squirrely and... Doing uh, something squirrely. Doing something... It's, uh... Okay, in the year that she won an Academy Award... (laughs) (laughs) Julian Moore. Julian Moore also was filmed taking a dump on a toilet and farting really loud and then saying how bad it stinks. And it wasn't... (laughs) It wasn't even. It wasn't even a. Uh, it wasn't even fuck? a Farrelly Brothers movie. It was a David Cronenberg movie. I love the really striking way you brought that into focus, Johnny Neal. I, I mean, you know, if that's not funny, if that's not a comedy, I don't know what is. If if that's not comedy, I don't know what comedy. I is. just yeah. I t- and then she gets up and says it stinks and leaves the bathroom without washing her hands, which just always cracks me up when they do that in a mm, movie. Yeah, especially with an Academy Award winner. <laughs> And Wash your hands. You got an Oscar, young lady. An Oscar, you, you don't know, know where that Oscar's been. You don't want to smudge your trophy, baby. <laughs> I, I looked at it like uh, the Spoils of Babylon, which is now on Netflix. It was a uh, one of those oddball little Sundance things with Tobey Maguire and Tim Robbins and a bunch of other people. Uh, little Kristen Wiig uh, series of five or six little ten-minute films, very soapy with uh, like. Hot Wheels and stuff taking place of real cars and models. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really funny, very melodramatic, and that is how I looked at this movie as a very melodramatic soap of Hollywood indulgence um, with lots of twists and turns that don't make any sense but are really funny if you'll just not be going, oh, this is going to be really intense and weird if you just kind of go, this is going to be pretty funny and weird. Yeah, uh, You can have a good time with it. I absolutely loved it. I'm going to try and, and sum up what's going on here in terms of plot. It's really kind of all over the place. Yes, yes, Very bizarre. It is. But um, I realized that when we were talking about Paddington a moment ago, I didn't actually tell you what the plot was. He's a bear. End of plot. Um, so there's the plot begins with a character named Agatha, who is played by Mia Wasikowska, who is a very odd-looking young woman. She's so great, though. No, oh, she's she's immensely talented she was so great in uh only lovers left alive yeah. and you know she just shows up everywhere yeah yeah she's absolutely. the hardest working girl in show business so the, the story kind of revolves around her and she befriends this limo driver who's also an aspiring actor played by robert pattinson who i just love he was so great in cosmopolis another great wow you're the guy movie. you're the guy that likes cosmopolis aren't you i love cosmopolis wow johnny neal i love that movie. after all the nice things i said about you and doing the show <laughs> with you you had to go and ruin it all how can you not love Love a movie that's set that's in a so limousine. far up its own ass. I can actually it can do its own colonoscopy. Yeah. No, no, no. no, no. I think I answered my own question. Um, but yeah, so she becomes the Agatha. Are are she's so weird? By the way, not not just the actress. The character is fucking 
oddball well, to the nth degree. All liars. All yeah, the they're all and they Nobody all lie. Nobody ever all tells the truth. Uh, because it's L.A. Hey, oh, I said Hey-o. it. I said it. Carrie Fisher plays herself, which is fun. Which is fun, but should alarm anyone who's looking forward to her in in the new Star the new Wars Star Wars. Movie. That's true too. Because Lord of my oh, mercy, she looks like a mailbox with a, a pomeranian <laughs> in her hands. <laughs> okay, I will. I will agree to that. Um, so Agatha becomes the personal assistant of this actress named Havana, who is played by Julianne Moore. Now, have she, Julianne Moore's got a real interesting situation because she herself is a successful actress, but she always kind of lives in the shadow of her mother, who was a really like uh, like a legacy actress who everybody still talks about, who who died tragically in a fire, uh, but was a big star in the '60s. And throughout the movie, Havana, played by Julianne Moore, is trying to get the part of her own mother in a movie about her mother which is like nepotism to a, a whole other dimension. Um, and then running through all of this is this bizarre character played by John Cusack, who is like a self-help guru who has yeah. the most molesty form of therapy I think I've ever seen. Yeah. it's uh, He has her stripped down to her underwear, and then he just touches her places like, is there memories here? Are there memories here? Were you a bad little girl? And it's just like... Okay, yeah, this just got super molesty. I don't think this is therapy anymore. And isn't it weird that John Cusack, when we were younger, he was the guy we wanted to grow up to be, and then he actually grew up to be somebody that you would not want anything to do with? I think the appeal of John Cusack was always that he was more relatable. He wasn't super Hollywood, which is why it's funny that he's in this. But I think that that took on frightening new levels of authenticity when he grew up, when we all thought we wanted to be him when he grew up and how disappointed we all are with how he actually grew up yeah. is how disappointed we are with how he grew up. So we did become John Cusack when we grew up. We became somebody to be disappointed in. I'm kind of happy with myself. Is that, a, is that a little too bleak? That felt a little nihilistic. <laughs> I just, there's something Let weird. Let me crack about, open a beer here. Why is he just so gross all the time now? I don't like know. Like in that, uh, like he never showers. Ground, yeah. Where he was, Hunting prostitutes in Alaska and and that Edgar Allan Poe movie. Well, there's not a lot to do in Alaska except hunt prostitutes. I mean, let's be real, guys. And he always it's like just seems up there. so proud of himself. He's just he's <laughs> like he's very pleased with himself. Like that comes through in real life. I bet that he's just a real smug son of a bitch. Well, from everything I'm, I've heard, uh, um, what is it? Something in Mercy. Uh, Love and Mercy, something like. There's a movie. The where new he, Beach Boys. Yeah, movie? It's, it's supposed to be. He's supposed to be really good in that. So. Yeah, but have you seen him? He's playing a brain dead Brian Wilson. How hard oh. could that be? No, oh, that's a good point. The other, the other main character here is a a young actor, a, a, like a child star named Benji Weiss, played by Evan Bird, who had to go to rehab at nine. Yeah. So I guess he's playing uh, Drew Barrymore. And he's a total dick. He's a total piece of shit. <laughs> he's a total dick. Just, just absolute. <laughs> douchemonger um but so what we have is we have a story that kind of weaves these characters in and out of each other's lives and really focuses on you know who whose role got stolen whose sobriety is on and the whole time i mean the plot if you really think about it is basically a reality show the plot the things that happen are very much the kind of like over overplayed like very not even maudlin, that's not even the right word, but very manufactured drama of a reality show. And yet, it's it's really the characters and how they're played and the, the not-so-subtle satirical approach to Hollywood lifestyle that makes this worth watching, but still bug-nuts insane. It is bug-nuts insane, but if you know that going in, then I think that you, you know, and, and you like that kind of thing, if you like that, you can enjoy it. And I really, really got a kick out of how... I'm going to go here now. You know, like he just took it 
to all these different levels of insane and had a good time doing it. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of drugs, a lot of, <laughs> uh, drugs, I think. <laughs> and every character is an unreliable narrator of their own lives. Cause they all talk about themselves all the time because yeah. they're in LA. And so whatever story they tell one person, they tell a different story to another person. Right. So you don't really know what's going on until the end and by then it's it's all over everybody's just so full of shit that they've drowned in their own shit i know full well that he directed naked lunch but this still may be the most drugs in a cronenberg movie so far so i'm just saying there you go you do have that so this is uh we got sent the dvd uh, i'm not seeing anything in the way of special features on this dvd so if that's what you were hoping for i am sorry to disappoint you but Check it out. It's probably not going to be your cup of tea, but I didn't out and out hate it the way I did Cosmopolis. So if, if you like me, <laughs> if you like Johnny Neal, <laughs> give it, it a shot. shot. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to a movie I know we both really, really liked, and that is The Babadook. Babadook. Babadook of Earl is going to be the sequel. Babadook. Duke. Duke. Duke of Earl. Babadook. Babadook. The Babadook of Earl. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, anyway, The Duke is an Australian horror film that if you guys haven't had a chance to see, it's on Netflix, first of all, right now. Fucking drop what you're doing. Stop listening to this and go watch the fucking Babadook. I'm it's gonna so say, good. I'm going to say it's in my top three for last year. Oh, nice. I, I mean, I absolutely loved that movie. Every you, frame of it. And you gotta I love loved that movie. You gotta love the praise here. I mean, I've never seen this is a quote on the back of the box. I've never seen a more terrifying film than the Babadook. It will scare the hell out of you as it did me. William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist. Uh deeply disturbing and highly recommended. Stephen King. So I mean again I think he was talking about himself. Though. He may have been looking in the mirror. Yeah. Or maybe his prescription ran out, and that's he, what he was yeah. saying is that I'm this deeply, is deeply disturbing. disturbing. I highly and recommend I'm drugs. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend pain Every killers. single okay, I you know what? I'm just gonna assume that most of the people that listen to us probably have seen this movie. Baba no. Is that is that going on? on I, the I would say by this point, we've talked about this movie so much, and I gotta say, this is another release, a joint release by Scream Factory and IFC that was inches from being my pick of the week so yeah. fucking if it weren't for escape from new york right right which yeah. i will always have a soft spot for like this this i mean not only does it have i mean okay first of all i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself as i as i tend to do let's talk about the plot of the movie the babadook now the babadook revolves around a character played by essie davis who exploded onto the scene with this movie absolutely phenomenal actress plays amelia amelia is a single mother who just lost her husband he died i guess it'd been several years ago six years he six died years in a car accident taking her to, to the, the hospital, hospital to give birth to her son so now it's just her and the son and the son has some issues behaviorally but you know he's not like a damien kid no he's just got some like he can't he's really trying make... to win her approval but yeah. he does he's using a negative to get a positive in exactly logical terms and he likes to make little gadgets that tend to maim and wound yeah. He thinks they're just fun inventions, but they're like deadly weapons. But they're also to protect her. They're weapons because he knows that there's something going on. He does know because there's something going on. Because here's the deal. Her husband died the day that she gave birth to her son. Yeah. And he died in taking her to the hospital. So she never got to grieve about her husband. Because she was immediately a single mom and had to raise Immediately a single mom and never really got to bond with her son the yeah. way he needed as a child to do. So it's about repressed grief. 
it, it's about a lot of repressed feelings. I want to get to that in just a second. So what we basically have is in the midst of all this, in the midst of her and her son having difficulties and her son having difficulties at school and getting in trouble all the time, there's some kind of presence in the house. Yes. And that presence is trying to basically... It all starts with this book that the kid finds and they read together and says things like, if it's in a word or it's in a book, you can't get rid of the Babadook. I mean, it's it's written like... If Tim Burton had a bastard love child with Dr. Seuss, yeah. this is the kind of literature that we would have gotten from that coupling. A little bit of Edward Gorey. A little bit of Edward Gorey. Yeah. yeah, it's just really beautiful. Like I, I know they sell copies of the book. They're inordinately expensive. I would love to get my hands on one. Hint, hint, if anyone wants to buy us gifts. Uh, my Amazon wish list is linked to my profile page on one of us tonight. Anyway, uh, I, Chris does it all the time and gets stuff, so I'm going to try being a little bit right. shameless with my with my whoring. Um, but yeah, so there's this presence in the house. It seems to have come from this book, and it's really just, it. and there the horror ensues. Now, what I want to talk about with this movie, and the caveat, the disclaimer that I want to make before you go into it, despite what Mr. Friedkin says, I don't think this is the scariest movie ever made. No. I think it's it's moments of fear, it's moments of fright are more effective because of the relationship that they've established with the characters, both between the characters themselves and between the characters and the audience, which is a really difficult thing to do. I think this is a very, very moving film. I think it is very engaging, and I think there are some legitimate scare moments that are really going to freak you out, but you cannot go into this movie thinking it's the scariest thing you're ever going to see. This is just a really fucking great movie overall from start to finish and as johnny neal pointed out it's about repression and specifically for me what i got from this movie is it's about living with somebody who has either bipolar or disassociative identity disorder it's about having a family member a parent a child whatever with these issues that you have just decided you're going to live with it's it's about what it takes to kind of lock the darker parts of ourselves away in order to be uh, to be an effective family unit, to be a functional family unit. Well, it's about what happens when you lock those dark parts away and you don't deal with your grief. See, but I think the ending would suggest that they're actually happier not dealing with it. No, I, I, dude, I think, dude, the ending is they the happiest do part deal of the movie. With it, but they do. They deal literally. With it. Okay, you know what? I don't want to get too much into that because I don't want to spoil the end of this movie. Yeah, I know, I know. It's right? like, uh, because, we'll leave okay, it Okay, I'll just say this. When I watched the movie, I was loving it and loving it so much until the end. And I said, huh, I can't tell if they stuck the ending or not. The last shot is really bizarre. And I will then give the you that. next morning, I woke up and said, that was the most brilliant ending I've ever seen. <laughs> and that was so non-American of an ending. Because oh, absolutely. Because in, in an American movie... And I don't want to give anything away either, but all you people who already are in the groove and know what I'm talking about, you're going to dig what I'm saying. In an American <laughs> you dig ending, it, the it most, would have baby. been, I vanquished it. It's over. And then in, it's the, over. in the Australian or New Zealand ending, it was, yeah, I just got to kind of learn to live with it a little bit at a time, you know? And that was uh, just a delightful ending for me. That was so realistic and and so the prescription of how you have to deal with grief you have to acknowledge it you have to acknowledge it and say you're a part of my life now huh hmm. and uh, you know maybe someday i won't have to see you for 15 minutes a day i'll only see you for two or three minutes a week hmm. but you're always going to be there yeah i still think there is an element of repression in where it is and where the, anyway 
again, I, I'm trying not to spoil things. So let me just say the Babadook release here that was put out again by Scream Factory and IFC. This Blu-ray is gorgeous. It has the most attractive slipcover. I'm not usually a big fan of slipcovers, but this has this gorgeous burgundy storybook slipcover over it with the the image that's on the front of the storybook in the film with just the Babadook and the in the logo. And then when you open it, you can listen. Just listen to this. Oh yes. And out comes this pop-up image of the Babadook with his, with his wingspan and his scary teeth. And it looks exactly like the, the first couple pages yeah, of the storybook. it's great. Oh, my God. It's, it's so handsome. fantastic. It's handsome. Exactly. It's handsome. This is a handsome release that also comes with some handsome special features. I watched every single one of the special features. What was your favorite special feature? I'm going to say the interview at the end because I mm. love the. I, I didn't like the structure of the interviews with the cast and crew because it was a written question and then them talking while yeah. sitting in various parts oh, of the Oh, I hate set. those. Yeah. But. Where it's like the, the question flashes said, up on the yeah. screen. Yeah. Okay. But every one of them was. They, every, no matter who they talked to, the first question was, what is the Babadook? And every member of the cast and crew that was interviewed had to answer that question for themselves. And that was a pretty cool thing to have them say. Nice. So from set design to producer to director to actor, they all had to answer that question on their own. And that was pretty cool, especially because it's, there were so many open, you know, and the director said, you know, my take is not necessarily the viewer's take. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that takes some guts. It does. So I I love that. And I also loved the, the set. Because it sure looked like a real house to me, and then you find out that it's uh, it's all just a set. Wait, it was a set, really? Yeah. Oh whole, wow! All they had to do. Well, was... I guess that makes sense because if you what I like really a lot about the production design of this movie is the gray yeah. that they use throughout that house that makes it look so weird and yeah. gothic and on another planet, like on Planet Poe, like Edgar Allan Poe's homeworld. Like, yeah. that's what it looks like. They talked about the color design, how there couldn't be any greens or, you know, there were just uh, a lot of blues and grays and blacks and uh, the furniture, how the furniture had to look real and, uh, you know, bought on a budget because suddenly she was, wor- she worked in a nursing home. You can imagine the nightmares you'd have in a nursing home. Right? <laughs> Right, working in a nursing home. Working in a nursing home. I, I, I love this movie. I can't say enough highly enough about it. I absolutely loved it. It also had a great use of public domain footage, which That's true. I just love when people can use public domain footage. You gotta love it to uh, great the Melier stuff. You're talking about the George Melier stuff. Yeah, that there they was showed? that. Yeah. There was some Night of the Living Dead. That's true. And there yep. was even some Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. He's the wow. Australian Lassie. Wow. <laughs> when I lived in Is Germany. Is there anything... No, I'm serious. Is there anything you don't know, When I Johnny lived Neal? in Germany, there was a Danish TV station that showed Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. And it would be almost the quality of uh, special effects that they used for Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Like Skippy's hands... <laughs> Would just extend and like <clears throat> operate a combination lock. Okay. And they were obviously little dead kangaroo hands on sticks. I'm going to ask this question to the subscribers in the comment section who are listening to this episode. Would you like a regular subscriber benefit show called Johnny Neal Talks About Stuff? Because <laughs> I would love to just sit you in front of a microphone once a week and let you talk for an hour about whatever you wanted and we'll break it up and we'll put it in the forums for subscribers. Because every time you talk about things, it makes me happy. You want me to th- sing the theme song? Please. It goes, Skippy, Skippy, 
Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. And that's all there is. That's to the it. entire that song. Was, that was the 1970s in Australia, the extent of their TV movie production. I'm glad you're happy to be here, Johnny Neal, because you're going to be here a lot more. We're going we're gonna <laughs> to hook this up. I really want to make this a thing. Google it, kids. Google I'm it. Sure, there's something on YouTube about Skippy. Skippy. Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. It's one of those Skippy, go get dad. The Wallywogs are on fire. And then Skippy. Skippy's would, like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking yeah, about, they're kid. Just, <laughs> I'm a kangaroo. What the fuck is a Wallywog? <laughs> Who is go. this? Anyway. No, th- Skippy always came through. Of course. There's also deleted scenes behind the uh, scenes of the making of the film. Jennifer Kent's short film Monster and theatrical trailer. That's pretty trailer. good. That, yeah? That's pretty good. Yeah. Nice. It, I mean, and, and it's clearly the... the Inspiration? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. It's pretty good. So, Baba Duke from Scream Factory and IFC, very close runner-up for pick of the week. Very close. A hair just, uh, just by a nose. I know. Just by one... F- Weird feather finger on the Baba Duke's hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, speaking of really great things, uh, Everly uh, was also released this week again by Anchor Bay. Anchor Bay is putting out some good stuff this week. Um, so Everly, if you don't know, is by a director named Joe Lynch. Now, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I do a weekly podcast with uh, Cargill, former Spill mainstay Cargill, now a screenwriter and novelist. Uh, we do a show called Junk Food Cinema over on FilmScoreRejects.com. And we did an episode on the careers of Adam Green and Joe Lynch, two up-and-coming young horror directors who are now starting to branch out into other genres. And they're like really interesting films. We talked about Digging Up the Marrow, yeah. actually, recently on a show, Johnny Neal. So this is from uh, Adam Green, who directed Digging Up the Marrow. This is from his buddy and, and frequent collaborator, uh, Joe Lynch. Now, Joe Lynch is most well-known for uh, making movies like Wrong Turn 2, and uh, the very the the very troubled production that was Knights of Badassdom, which is currently on Netflix, but not the version that Joe shot, but the version that his producers stole and re-edited. So just keep that in mind when you watch the movie. Uh, now, Everly is his action movie. This is his Babes with Guns uh, siege film that he made starring Selma Hayek, who I think... What was your comment about Selma Hayek every year she looks... Selma Hayek is just as beautiful as she was when she was 20, but the cost of that is that she looks more and more insane every year. She's just a big red flag with an accent. Like somewhere there's a painting of her in an attic attic that's getting more stable? Yeah, exactly. exactly. There's just something crazy about her. Every time I see a picture of her... Like, you can see more of the whites on the top and the bottom of her eyes. <laughs> She's get losing a her eyelids. Bit bigger and crazier. <laughs> well, that actually benefits her really well in this story, uh, in which she plays a, uh, a former prostitute uh, who was working for um, a Japanese crime boss, and she's being... Basically, what happens is she's working with the police now to bring down his organization because of the way he treated her. She was kind of like she was a prostitute. She was also kind of his mistress. Um, she got fed up with the way he treated her. She's starting to work with the cops to bring down the organization. He finds out and sends the full breadth of his underworld kingdom to try and take her down. Ninety nine point nine percent of this movie takes place in one apartment, in yeah. one massive apartment. And the whole film is basically her fighting off assault on precinct thirteen style, fighting off wave after wave of uh, of attackers. Now, what's really great about this movie, and where Lynch gets to flex his horror muscles, is the variety of people that come to kill her. At one point, there's like this weird pain master and his like bizarre sadomasochistic padawans, and it's just like this really ugly 
like nasty character that looks like he belongs in a different film entirely. But that's just what's great about this movie is like you have the traditional here's guns, here's swords, and then all of a sudden you've got this guy coming in who wants to like slowly torture her with acid and electricity and like he's just fucking weirdo bizarre mondo nuts. And I love this movie because of that because it's it is structured like a standard siege movie, but it goes to some weird places and it's just fucking fun. Like, Selma Hayek is loving this character, loving this role, and as Johnny Neal said, maybe a little bit crazy herself, <laughs> which really benefits her in this film, and I just had a blast with this. I thought this was one of the more entertaining and energetic action films in a long time, and if you haven't seen this, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Here's how highly I recommend it. There's a dog death in this movie, and I'm still recommending this movie. That's how good it is. That's how good Everly is. Check it out. It's on Blu-ray from Anchor Bay. Uh, the special features, there's a commentary from Joe Lynch and his co-producer, as well as editor Evan Schiff. Uh, there's a technical feature commentary with Joe Lynch and the cinematographer. There's a Silent Night music video by Raya Yarbo and Bear McCreary. Bear McCreary, by the way, if you don't know Bear McCreary's work, he's the guy you go to when you're making either a, you're making like a little film, you're making a, a festival or an independent film, and you need really great music. You go to Bear McCreary. He's also the composer, by the way, on The Walking Dead. Oh yeah. So you've yeah. heard this guy's work. Yeah, and and yeah, he's absolutely outstanding. Does the music for this, uh, and then there's also uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, that music video is directed by Joe Lynch himself. So a lot of great special features. Really fantastic movie that a lot of people I feel like didn't really give a chance to, or maybe saw at Redbox and thought it was dumb looking. Whatever. It's great. Check it out. Now we're going to talk about a movie that I think Johnny Neal and I are going to differ a little bit on. And that is Antarctica, A Year on Ice. This is a documentary from Music Box, Music Box Films. Um, yeah, it, it takes place in Antarctica and is about uh, a group of researchers that basically live there. Well, they're not necessarily... It's just whatever. There's people yeah, that's that true. work they're, in the retail part of... Yeah. You know, no, you're it, right. They're not it, all researchers. It's, it's interesting that every... There are seven or eight bases in Antarctica. Mm. It, was, it was very informative about Antarctica, for one. That's true. That nobody really owns Antarctica. It's a treaty between all of the countries of the world. Because nobody wants it. Nobody wants it, <laughs> but it's got to be good for something, right? I mean, there will be a time when it's like... Well, break up the ice so we can get straight. You know, I mean, it just seems the way things go. Yeah. That that everybody is just where else on earth is? It's a big United Nations frozen tundra. You know, just yeah. I, I loved it because uh, it was made by a guy who spent his own money making his own cameras. Who had another job. He just shot the film as kind of a, a hobby while he was there. And uh, he made uh, time-lapse photography gear. He said he's lost thousands and thousands of dollars worth of cameras over the course of trying to get the oh, movie sure. made. Oh, I'm sure. I have no doubt. Um, it was just a really interesting little movie, and it was beautiful. Just, just it it was really stuff. beautiful. Um, what I liked about it was when you went to the winter and how... Uh, they were about the time you're going, man, I'm getting kind of bored with this movie. Then all the people started going, and that's when the boredom sets in. <laughs> right before the spring it's, gets it's here. As if they knew. We can't take it anymore. As we, if they knew you would start to lose interest. And they, they... they stop talking to each other. And they don't remember uh, what they did five minutes before. Like the phone will ring and he'll say, yeah, you told me to call you. When? 
just five minutes ago. Oh, I did? <laughs> Dave's not here, man. <laughs> They're all like... Dave's I, really cold, though. I'd pay $1,000 for an avocado right now. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. It was it was fun to watch. And then um, the way that they would get so tribal, how the, the guys that stayed over the winter, when the new people would come in the spring, and they called them uh, the overwinters. Like, they had their own... They were like overnighters, but overwinter. They would spend the whole winter there and not seeing the sun for four months straight. There goes the sun, never see it again. <laughs> it would just kind of skip over the horizon for a couple of hours, and yeah. then just go away. Uh, and then... They uh, they must make a ton of money for to do that. I, I would you know I would just go freeze to death or die or something. There's just no way I could do that. But oh hell no! I, Are you I kidding? enjoyed it. I really really enjoyed it. Here's I mean here's what I liked about it, and I'll tell you the the point that it lost me. And I I'm sorry if this is unfair, but if this is like an unfair judgment against the movie. But the point where it lost me so much of this movie was so lighthearted and so much fun to watch. Like. They, they really did balance, like, time-elapsed nature photography in a nature documentary with a human interest story about these people who form this weird commune at the bottom of the world, like, this weird, like, tundra-slash-ashram, you know? And, and, you know, that was really interesting to me. And then there's this moment, and this is where it lost me. There's a moment where you see a seal that has, I like... I knew you were going to say I'm sorry, that. dude. Like, what the fuck? Um, there's a seal who has like been stranded. It can't get to the ocean. It's going to die. It's like desperately crawling toward their settlement to try and get help. And they're like, "Oh, we actually can't interfere. We just have to let." What do you mean you can't interfere? I said the same thing. If there are people in this community who aren't researchers, they can fucking interfere all day. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. You know what does make sense is that you're assholes. That's what really makes sense to me. Just let the thing die. You're just like, oh, we're just going to let it die, yelping pathetically for its life. I'm like, that's because you're fucking assholes. That's why you live in Antarctica, because you can't live with regular people, because you're fucking assholes. That's where it lost me. That is the point at which this well, documentary lost me. Well, you know, that, what are you going to do? It's a you, you know what? You fucking <laughs> saved the damn seal. I don't understand why this is a difficult decision for anyone. I know. I, I kind of felt bad for the seal. And seals aren't even my favorite animals, but still, I was just like, I feel real bad. And it's like, even if that's true, even if that happens, why do you have to show that? That's my documentary. Why do they have to show it? It's so incongruous with the rest of the happy go lucky feel, the weirdness of of the documentary. It's like, oh, and also, by the way, they're just going to let things suffer and die. But anyway, back to them being kind of quirky. And I'm like, Nope, nope, sorry. Uh, that did not belong in this documentary. Well, it was weird, though. Like, uh, they didn't even... Like, they, they took out all of their sewage. Like, they don't even leave their sewage there. They don't even, like... They pee in bottles when they're out in the field. Uh, so so there, there is a very uh, strange... That's part of the treaty that they can't interfere. The treaty with who? With all the other countries. Nobody owns it! Who are you making a treaty with? Well, they're owned all, by nobody. It's, it's a very delicate balance. You know what? I will call each of the other four continents. There are six continents. Seven continents. All, all the other six continents. Don't don't worry about that. And I will ask them specifically if they're okay with you pissing on the ground and saving a seal. Pretty sure it's going to come back okay from every other person. It's just this weird sort of like, this is the law of nature. And I'm like, this does not go with the rest of the documentary is my bigger issue with it. So, I don't know. He's really mad. I'm just you know. I'm just saying that kind of bothered me. Kind of bothered me a lot. But, other than that, it's actually a very well-made documentary and does manage to balance nature doc with human interest doc. And I, I think that's a really interesting combination. 
Well, it was almost the like the, the people were looked at as wildlife too, you know, the way yeah. they were, they were, it was such an objective look at the different people and the way they would talk how when other people came in, they got like, I'm going to go eat in my room. I can't stand to be around these people. I don't know any of them. And uh, it was, well, the good news is you're on Antarctica. So if you have trouble making friends, you only have those. Yeah. So good job. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, and it's funny to me that the northern lights always look like they're digital like they're just yeah you know, they really do like fiber the, optic right yeah like that doesn't look like it's a picture of something real it looks like a dark room special effect yeah i enjoyed it i felt bad for the seal but you know what what are you gonna look, do i know i'm overly sensitive i know i'm i'm kind of a liberal sometime like a kind of a a hippie liberal when it now, now i won't say i'm a hippie because i, I took one look at those people staying in Antarctica, like take a fucking shower I don't care if it might oh, kill yeah. you from frostbite. Take a goddamn shower. So I don't think I'm a full hippie, but I do have like hippie thoughts of when it comes to animals. But anyway, I think overall, very interesting documentary. So we're going to move on from that, and we're going to talk about Class of 1984, which is yet another Scream. We have three Scream Factory releases on this show. I am happy. Class of 1984. Now, this is a movie I have been aware of for a long time, but never actually seen. And the reason that I've been aware of this movie is that the original poster for this film was kind of these weird cartoon avatars of the the main four villains. Yeah. Okay, you see that? Yeah. All right, now, in which is, again, just a brilliant piece of packaging here from, uh, from Scream Factory. Uh, a good friend of mine, Zach Carlson, who used to work for the Alamo Drafthouse, who's now uh, getting into filmmaking, published a book called Destroy All Movies, which is the definitive guide to punks on film. So it breaks down literally every instance of punk culture being featured in an 80s movie. And I thought I had it right here. Um... Uh, it, it's somewhere up there, but uh, it has that same image. That's the image on the front of the book is that same, you know, cartoon figure, uh, cartoon avatars of the bad guys. Now the base, but I had never actually seen the movie. I was just aware of that poster. Uh, I also own a VHS copy that I've never cracked into. Now this was directed by Mark Lester, who, if that name sounds vaguely familiar, probably because he directed such winning pieces of cinematic history as Commando. Yeah, he yeah. he directed Commando. He also directed Get to the Chopper. Get to the Chopper, which I still love. Is one of my guilty pleasures. I love love Commando. The pleasures don't have to be guilty. That's We're true. Not, I have no shame. We don't judge? No, we shouldn't judge. But um, except for people that let seals die. That's true. I judge them harshly. Harshly. And Showdown in Little Tokyo. So I mean, this is a guy who's made. Uh, you know, he also directed Firestarter and Armed and Dangerous with uh, John Candy. So he's made a lot of like really kind of. You know, whatever kind of... He's a working man. He's a working man. He's a blue-collar director. And this is probably his most blue-collar movie. This is like if you took Dangerous Minds and smashed it up with uh, Death Wish. That's kind of what you have here. Uh, because it, it takes... it. <laughs> yeah, right? Except there was no, like, rap battle. There, there was, was no, no rap Michelle battle. Michelle Pfeiffer trying to sponsor anybody. No, but there was a music teacher played by actor Perry King... Uh, who actually, again, I'm going to plug Junk Food Cinema one more time. I talked about it in a movie called The Clairvoyant, which is a completely forgotten about 80s horror thriller um, called The Clairvoyant, so starring uh, Perry King and Joe Morton. Anyway, so check that out. Uh, he comes to this school that is really troubled. It's Lincoln High School. It's one of those... There was this weird thing in the 80s where America got really scared of youth culture. Yeah. Kind of the way that England did in the late 90s, early 2000s with some of its films... And and then even into the like into the mid two thousands, some of the horror films that came came out like 
uh, Cherry Tree Lane and Eden. I think Eden Lake is the one I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of where it was like, kids are fucked up and they'll kill you. You know, like we're scared well, of our all children. All it takes is one good warriors. You yeah, know, and that's then, true. And then you're going to have a bunch of copycats. And well, that really, yeah, but know. the Warriors was like it, Warriors was a, a film where age didn't seem to exist. Yeah, that's like true. everybody, there was no young and old. It was just you were in gangs. Like hey, real people didn't exist in that movie except for cops. Hey, speaking of that time frame, yeah, I, uh, I something I meant to say and I forgot. I'm going to say it now. Say it. I like to think that Escape from New York. <laughs> And we're bringing it back. I like to think that Escape from New York and Mad Max live in the same universe. Ooh, I like that. That's what's going on in Australia, and Escape from New York is what's going on in New York. See, I always thought, and I said this before, but I think Mad Max is a film where it's like, because it's weird because it's not quite apocalyptic No, no. Okay, but I think it is. I think what happened is the rest of the world is a burning cinder, and nobody bothered to tell Australia, and that's kind of what Australia looked like anyway, and then it got worse. Yeah. But it's like, that's just what Australia looked like right after the apocalypse, because that's what it always looked like. Nobody bothered to bomb it. So nobody nobody worried about Australia. Nobody told them there was an apocalypse, because they took one look at the continent and went, oh, I think that's already happened there. Okay, we can move on. We can move on. Yeah. Anyway. So that's what I like to think. I like that. I like that theory. But in the 80s, there was this weird rash of movies like Hell High and, you know, Class of 1984 is another one of those. All these movies where teenagers were, like, scary. Like, where they were, like, frightening horror monsters. And that's what Class of 1984 is. that's a kind of a common theme. But, dude, it's just not that to they, this they fucking add, extent. Yeah, well, they added punk to it. Because they, if you think that the beat generation scared the shit out of grown-ups... That's true. Rock All Night kind of proved that. Yeah. Put, put punks into something, you know? Yeah. And, and punks, especially once the English version of punks came into it with safety pins and, and you know, once that drifted back over here, that freaked people the hell but, out. But the thing is, the thing with these movies in the 80s specifically is that they... They looked at the, that kind of thing where it's like, you know, culturally, adults are afraid of youth culture every time there's a new generation. And they added slasher movie shit to it. Yeah. That's the difference. In the 80s, it was like, oh, and you know, we've got slasher movies now. Right, right. So, Class of yeah, I mean, they're all exploitation. They're super right? exploitation. I mean, Class of 1984 not... is absolutely an exploitation film. Yeah. Uh, another, another person in this movie you might recognize is Roddy McDowell playing the science teacher. And now, what happens is this this music teacher played by Perry King comes in and and tries to make a difference, and that gets him in all kinds of shit with this gang, this gang of five. Like juvenile delinquent is too soft a term. These are juvenile racketeers. Like they are running drugs and they're running prostitution rings. And they've Nobody's set up getting an education. They've set up an office in the local scum punk club where it's like, and literally people are waiting outside like they're asking favors from Don Corleone. And the leader of this gang is a character named Peter Stegman, who's played by Timothy Van Patten. And it was driving me crazy because I'm like, I know that name, and not yeah. just because he's Dick Van Patten's son, yeah, but because I was like. He's a writer now. He's written some of the best episodes of both Boardwalk Empire and The Sopranos. Oh, wow. Uh, or, um, maybe he directed, he was he directed like the, those episodes. He was the bionic teenager on uh, The Six Million Dollar Man. Really? Yeah, he was I around a lot that. in those days. He was on TV all the time in those days. He directed the best episodes of... That's what I was trying to say. He directed the best episodes of The Sopranos. Uh, he directed a couple episodes of Game of Thrones and then some of the best episodes of Boardwalk Empire as well. So he's gone on to a completely different career. But I wish I could have seen more of him as an actor because he is frighteningly intense. Like he really nails this character because he is sadistic and evil enough that you buy him as a monster. But he's also manipulative. He's clever enough to be manipulative. So like he keeps getting away with shit and keeps casting aspersions on the actual music teacher. 
in toward the third act of this movie, though, it goes super dark. Like, you think you know exactly what you're going to get. You think it's going to be a, a Dangerous Minds or a Stand By Me situation. And it just turns to straight up murder. Like, there is murder left and right toward the end of this movie. Like, man, when, when Mark Lester uh, decides that... Mark Lester, I'm sorry. When Perry King decides he's had enough of these fucking kids messing with his life and his wife, he goes full murder spree on these fuckers. And that's when the movie goes completely insane and completely slasher. And it's actually kind of fun. I really did. I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed that switch over. And there's a great theme song. There's a really great theme song in this movie done by Alice Cooper. As, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As the movie is is starting up, you hear this really bizarre, like, it's called I Am the Future. And it was written by Lalo fucking Schifrin, who does the music for the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a really cool oddity of the 80s that I think has been largely lost, and I really am indebted to Scream Factory for, for putting it out on Blu-ray with a host of special features. Um, the new transfer of the movie, uh, there's an interview with uh, Mark Lester, who has a very elevated idea of what he was doing with this film. He's like, I was shedding a light on what was really happening in our schools, and I was like, no, you were not. Because no, like, because I, no, this is based apparently, quote unquote, based on a true story. I don't know if I believe that. Um, there's an audio commentary with Mark Lester. Uh, there is uh, also interviews with actors, uh, Lisa Langlis, who plays like the, the female punk, Aaron Noble and Lalo Schifrin, the composer. Um, there's a there's an interesting documentary called Blood and Blackboards. There's the trailer, TV spots, a still gallery, and of course, a beautiful painted cover, courtesy of Scream Factor. I really, really like this one where it's uh, the the teacher character holding a pipe over an, a brand new animated rendition of the gang, and I, I really dig this movie. It's really weird, very bizarre, but if you can make it to the end, man, this is this is really worth watching. As is our next movie, although I'm not sure Johnny Neal and I are going to completely agree on it. Oh, we're not. I really liked this movie. <laughs> oh! And this movie is called Ayo. Convoy. We got a great Mercy big convoy driving through the night. Come on and watch Blu-ray of Convoy. Ain't it a beautiful sight? Woo! Woo! Yeah, that's right. This movie is is based on a song that nice. was written for bread commercials. Yes. Which is a really weird thing, like and it, and about a phenomenon that didn't really even exist. For you know, it's it, this is another situation like Saturday Night Fever, where like this trucker fascination, it was it was a flash in the pan fad in America. It existed for a really brief oh, no, window of time. The trucker fascination oh, okay. did, yeah. But what are you talking about? The 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 notion that convoys. The, the convoys were like the speed limit had been lowered to 55. And so truckers who had to get their goods delivered by a certain time yeah. would speed and they would speed in convoys if they were all going in the same direction. Mm -hmm. The logic being if they got pulled over, only one of them would get pulled over. Oh, yeah. Well, so it's not a noble thing. It's not, but at all, it wasn't Butch and Sundance. You know, it yeah. wasn't some kind of Robin Hood thing. Oh no, they, they set this up to be more like, like an eighteen wheeled version of Billy Jack. Oh yeah, that's exactly. kind of the way that exactly. in Convoy, it's they're fighting back again. First of all, first of all, okay. Throughout the whole movie, they talk about Chris Christopherson plays our our lead actor uh, Rubber Duck. Rubber Duck, our lead character Rubber Duck. He's about to put the hammer down. About to put the hammer on down. Uh, they they sell him as this like Billy Jack type hero of the working class. Yeah. Can you tell me 
butt at all what the fucking cause was. They're like, man, we're really supporting you in the cause. He's like, yeah, I'm doing it for the people. I'm doing it for I'm, the people. I'm doing this because I want to start a circus on Pee Wee Herman's farm someday. I got it. One day, I, you know, I went to West Point. Oh, God damn it. I'm, I'm Chris Christopherson and I've got a beard. No, but by the end of the movie, I was like, what the fuck was the cause? And then the governor comes in and the governor was Seymour. For what? Well, did you what watch any the of the cause? extras? No, I didn't. Okay. Was there a deleted scene that, like... No. Okay. Because let me... me, Wait, wait, wait. Before we get into that, let me tell you the basic premise of the plot. Uh, Rubber Duck is a trucker who meets up with these other two guys on the road. Uh, One of them played by Burt Young. And the other is Franklin Ajaya, who was one of the all-time greats. He was the fly in Car Wash, and he was... Oh, nice. The little uh, general in Deadwood. Oh, okay. Right on. Right on. One of the greats. So they end up getting pulled over by a corrupt police officer played by the always great, the always great Ernest Borgnine. And he basically extorts money from them. Whose name is Dirty Lyle. Dirty Lyle. (laughs) He'll take bribes. He's a character from fucking Dukes of Hazzard. Yeah, Um, he'll take bribes instead of uh, giving you tickets. Because the tickets are going to make their insurance go up, and he knows that, so he extorts money from them. So at one point in the movie, he shows up again because he's tapped into their CB radio, which, by the way, they treat CB radios like like it's an alien piece of technology in this film. Like the cops are like, what is this CB radio? What is a call handle? I don't know what that means. And they only have one channel. Yeah, they apparently only have one channel. Always on channel 19. So Ernest Borgnine is listening in, and that's how he gets to pull all these truckers over. So they they play a little joke on him, and then he gets mad and starts to arrest the, the black character, the black truck driver, and they beat him up. They beat up Ernest Borgnine, and then they take off so they don't get arrested. And all of a sudden, it becomes a cause. And I'm like, hold on. What was the cause exactly? Yeah. This cop is an asshole? That's the cause? This one cop is an asshole. That's right. your cause. And I don't understand. And they're running for Mexico. Yeah. Because apparently, the truckloads of stuff that they've been paid to deliver or are waiting to get paid for once they deliver, including a truckload of hogs. Of pigs, yeah. Who are not getting to eat or anything. Yeah. I mean, they'll keep. They'll keep. They'll be fine. You're, you're fine with a seal being uh, forced to die. We don't have the, to watch the pigs die those, slowly those in front of pigs, us. No, they're they're baking in a truck in the Arizona desert. I think you're projecting. I, I I think I think that's a reach. I mean, you might you might be right. That may be exactly what happens to them. But we don't have to watch it happen. And I kind of forgot that one of the trucks was full of pigs. So <laughs> the point being, all of all of this is like this movie is directed by Sam Peckinpah. Yes. One of the great directors of all time. Like one of the manliest the greatest. The manliest, yes. the sweatiest, the most machismo filled. Like you cut this guy and he bleeds testosterone. Yeah. Like that's all his blood is. And and you could cut him easily because he wore a razor blade around his neck that he used to chop up big lines of cocaine that he did during this entire movie. He was the seventies. Sam Peckinpah he, is one of those people who for me who epitomized the seventies. Yes. And, you know, in this film, he's making he is making a Hal Needham movie. Nah, it's not. He's totally making a Hal Needham movie. But it's not as good as a Hal No, Needham I'm not movie. saying it's as good, but it's like when you see a truck plow through a building and then another building playing hide and seek with a cop car yeah. and trashing. That's a Hal Needham thing. Sure, There's literally sure. a point where the cop car flies through the air and flies through the top of a barn and it, like it was an epic stunt. Right. And by the way, they offered this movie to Hal Needham first and he said, no, I'm working on this other thing called Smokey and the Bandit. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's really funny the way it shook out. But you well, mentioned the special feature. Okay, so the special, so I watched this and I was kind of excited to watch it. it one of those, I bet this is a great lost classic. You know, about 20 minutes in, I'm going, I bet this has never played on anything other than drive in movie screens. I <laughs> see, I won't argue with that. 
I think you're probably right about that. So it's by the time it's over, I'm going, what the fuck was that? So I go to the extras, and there's an extra about, uh, it's called something like uh, Sam Peckinpah and his cowboys, or uh, Poetry and Cowboys, or something. uh, I am looking. uh, Passion and Poetry. Passion and Poetry. Sam's Trucker Movie. Sam's Trucker Movie. So I'm like, okay. Which is almost as long as the movie itself. It's an hour and 15 minutes. Damn, son. And you know what that is? It's basically a post facto intervention of all these people saying how much they wish they had been able to level with Sam about what a piece of shit movie That's he was That's so making. unfair. That it's is so unfair. so bizarre. It's like, because oh. it starts with all these great Sam Peckinpah movies, and you're leading up, and then you ha- you know, you know got stills from everything, from Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and and, and the, the Wild Bunch, and the Iron Cross, and, and Straw Dogs, and, and just everything that is so great about Sam Peckinpah. And then you get to Chris Christopherson, who's old now, and he's talking, and he says, yeah, I was a little bit young on Billy the Kid. I wish I had that to do over again, because I was so young. I, I was kind of green, and, and you know, and he, he reflects on that for a second. And then he stops, and he looks at the camera, and he goes, well, then there's Convoy. Man. We can talk about Convoy if you want. And then he starts laughing at the concept of even having a conversation about this movie. All right, fine. Oh, all right, my fine. God. Oh. But all that being said, I like this movie. Everybody keeps saying how, you know, there really wasn't even a story. There was <laughs> there was no cause. There was no There was nothing. no cause. They're, I'll give they're you that. trying to sell the the truckers as cowboys, but they weren't. No. You know. And they're Rednecks trying- would be a more apt term, I think. <laughs> were people with jobs you know that's kind of the logic that you're forgetting is that they had some place to go johnny neil i can't argue with your points except that the end result for me was that i really enjoyed the movie whereas it didn't work for you you really need to watch that extra you know it's just sad of all the films based on jingles for bread commercials this one is my favorite well, of all of them, I all of know, the innumerable man. movies that are based on jingles for bread commercials. They, here's the thing. That song by C.W. McCall uh, really led to uh, a big boom and people were like really obsessed with trucker lingo and getting still, CB radios. I still remember my cousin's CB radio because you had to not just say your handle. You had to say your license number. Oh, wow. Because you had to have a license to operate a CB. You had to, quote, quote. Right? Had to, yeah. It was KQU6719. Otherwise, it was pirate radio. It was pirate radio if yeah. you didn't say that license. Nobody will catch me. So I still remember from my days. See, I was around during this time. Yeah? I think you're lionizing something that you think you might have missed out on. I'm lionizing. I don't even know what that means. Johnny Neal using vocabulary, I don't even know. <laughs> but movies based on bread commercials, so The Wonder Years doesn't count because it's a TV show. <laughs> Neither does Brown Bunny by Vincent Gallo, because that's not based on bunny bread. Believe me. But it sure is a good movie. Is it? Uh, I love that movie. Man, we we have very different tastes. (laughs) That's why this show works. Um, But you know who really loved this movie, by the way, incidentally? The Russians. And it was paid for by the Japanese. The producer sold the con- got got finance from the Japanese. This and is actually, an international production, and it, and it actually was a fairly big hit in that it pay- got paid for by the Japanese. Look, let me just end this discussion by saying nothing that Johnny Neal has said about this movie is wrong. It just doesn't bother me. I have so much fun yeah, watching well, this movie. Let me let me say that everything that Brian Salisbury has said about this movie is wrong. That's probably true. But I will I will recommend Convoy, which comes to us from Kino Lorber, one of their 
uh, I like what they're doing with these bizarre classic movie Blu-rays that they've been putting out very randomly. Uh, pretty soon we're going to be talking about a couple of ninja movies they put out on Blu-ray. Fucking yes. I, honestly, I think if you ever want to watch a movie about how a movie can go completely off the rails mm-hmm. and started without an idea even, you know? Okay. I mean, that's the big deal uh, that they all keep going back to. Man. I, I mean, everybody talks on this. And what's really funny is that... uh uh, Chris Christopherson keeps calling Ernest Borgnine, 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 and then Borgnine's up in a helicopter and he's yelling at everybody. See, he's just so mad. You just keep picking on this movie. It's like you're kicking the seal while it's freezing. Like it's just not cool, Johnny Neal. It's just not cool. I would have had to club that seal. Oh just come on, that would have been more humane than yeah. anyway. The point is, this is the end of the show, and we wanted to go out on a really positive note, so we brought convoy. up the seal again. We got a great big convoy driving through the night. Now we got to do. You don't even know the words. Yeah, you make words. No, that's totally the words. Driving through the night. Yeah, riding through the night. We got a great big convoy. Trucking through the night. Oh, I'm sorry, trucking. I'm lost now. You, you've derailed me. Wow, this hair I have used to be one, but now it's two because somebody split it. Anyway, we got a we got a great big convoy of titles we just talked about, and now ain't she a beautiful sight? Ain't she a beautiful sight? You know what else is a beautiful (laughs) sight? Is our. And that's it's, what we're going to do right now. It's really a beautiful sight. And that that giveaway is, are you ready for this? <gasps> a mystery prize. No way. It is a mystery prize. Ooh. I know. You Ooh. don't know what it is, but I bet you want it. Ooh. I bet you do. And yeah. here's how you can win. First, you're going to follow us at one of us net on Twitter. Then you're going to tweet at us with the answer to this hypothetical question. We've talked a lot about Johnny Neal on this show and all of the great majesty that is Johnny Neal. So what I want you to do for this giveaway is I want you to imagine what I, I want you to imagine why we are in uh, American Werewolf in London all of a sudden. The I know what's so happening. Um, I want you to imagine the life that Johnny Neal led before he came on the show. What job do you think Johnny Neal may have had based on his his mystic wisdom and sort of the weird things that he knows? What job do you assume Johnny Neal had before doing this show? Put that in a tweet. And hashtag that mystery giveaway. We'll pick our favorite. That person will win a prize. Open to U.S. residents only. So you're going to pick a favorite and not necessarily the one that yeah, no, no, the truth. No, it's I don't care if it's accurate. The one that you're going awesome. I don't give a yeah. shit if it's accurate. Okay, I just good. want to see what people think you did for a living. I don't know if I want to see that. I do. I kind of do. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Digital Noise. Once again, I'm Brian. Joined by Shush. Yeah, we're, we're living in a kennel all of a sudden. <laughs> Um, joined by Johnny Neal. Johnny Neal, where can people find you online? Do you have a Do you have a Twitter? Or are you on the I Facebook? don't have a Twitter, but I am on Facebook. Johnny Michael Neal. Johnny um, Michael Neal. N-E-I-L-L. In Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas. Definitely check us out on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at one of us net. You can also follow us at DigiNoiseCast or me at BryGuySalisbury. And and I try and answer everybody who writes anything That's true. to our to our uh, comment section below. You do. I really try to, to comment. I love reading stuff from other people. I think it's great, and I'm more than happy to comment on. Things. You know what? I think you're great. I think you're great, Johnny Neal. Aww. And become a subscriber now because something's in the works here. We're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more off mic about it and see if we can figure out a Johnny Neal centric show for subscribers because oh I really God. want that to happen. But in the meantime. I'm going to end the show the way I always do, reminding you that no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe and Convoy, we review them all.